You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Coming to you live from Podcast Detroit's Northville studio, it's time for Behind the Bar. Produced by Zim's Vodka and Podcast Detroit. Today's Monday, March 2nd, and I'm one of your hosts, Bruce Carroll, along with a very special guest today, Bob Kraus. Bob is getting in shape to fulfill his dream of playing on the PGA Champions Tour, along with guys many of you may remember, including uh, Masters Champions Fred Couples and Bernard Langer, U.S. Open winners Ernie Els, PGA Champion John Daly, and many more. In fact, Zim's Vodka uh, the exclusive sponsor of this Behind the Bar podcast is also a sponsor for Bob in his quest to chase the Champions Tour. He's been featured on and does segments for WDIV Channel 4 uh, called On the Course with Kraus. And he's been training very hard. In fact, I just got an update. Bob has lost 45 pounds and he looks like a rock star. <laughs> and with spring less than three weeks away, we are now going to introduce to our listeners golf tips with Bob that reminds or that that rhymes with behind the bar we're calling in the jar with Bob Krause. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to show our, uh, share our first golf tip from Bob later on as we interview our guest this week and so welcome to the show Mr. John McGee a former and maybe still card carrying PGA golf professional is that a good introduction John? Uh, emphasis on the former. No <laughs> so, um, so John, as a guest, you should know that um, for Zim's Vodka here, what we do with um, this podcast is we're always introducing some interesting um, historical facts, and um, it, it's really fun. Uh, we did a bunch of them. For example, on this day in 1904, of course, you know that Terry Olson and I are uh, hockey guys, John. That in 1904, in the Stanley Cup Finals in Montreal, the Montreal Wanderers and the Ottawa Hockey Club played to a 5-5 tie, and Montreal was disqualified for refusing to play the second game in Ottawa. There you go. <laughs> Bet you didn't know this. That in this I had day. no idea. Did not, did not know that. Did not know that. Okay. On this day in, in 1940... Beaten by a nose in both the 1937 and 1938 Santa Anita Handicaps, Seabiscuit, the Wonder Horse, finally wins the big cap in his final race and retires the leading money winner horse of in the world. Didn't, didn't know that, did you? Had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and on this day in 1974, a grand jury concludes U.S. President Richard Nixon was involved in the Watergate cover-up. You probably knew about that. Uh, one of mine to know. And here's one for you. On this day in 2004, the Indianapolis Colts signed quarterback Peyton Manning to a seven-year, $98 million deal with a $34.5 million signing bonus the largest package to date in the NFL back in 2004. So, there you go on this day in history. Well, look, good afternoon, John. We're excited to have you here on Behind the Bar with Zim's Vodka, so let's get started and, and start making history ourselves. Right. So, so, John, where are you from originally? 
was born and raised in Traverse City. Okay. Good, good place to be born and raised. Absolutely. You've mu- you must have seen a ton of growth and expansion in that that city. I mean, it's isn't it the second largest city in the state of Michigan? Uh, no. No, Grand, Grand Rapids yeah, bigger Grand than Rapids Traverse City? Delaware. Grand Rapids for sure. Lansing has okay. to be in there. Okay. Um, maybe even Muskegon. It is, I think we are the third largest traffic counts through the airport. Oh, the okay. State. Really? That's interesting. So, interesting. So you, grew, you grew up in Traverse City. Did you go to school anywhere? Uh. Well, I went to Catholic schools in in Traverse, um, and then ended up going to Northwestern Michigan College uh, in Traverse City as well. Interesting. After graduation. And and I'm assuming then maybe even in high school you played golf for your uh, Catholic high school team? I did. I joined the team having played one nine-hole round of golf when I was 15. (laughs) I joined it a month before turning 16 because I was tired of getting hurt playing football. <laughs> so I'm you a did, small guy. So you did play other sports? I did. Uh, football for a bit and then uh, four years of basketball and four years of baseball. Okay, awesome. So clearly I, I, I see where the eye-hand coordination comes from. Very, well, yeah. I suppose so. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, um, well, so tell us what inspired you to continue to pursue golf and become a PGA golf professional. Well, uh, at school, college, I was going to school to be financial analyst and uh, or accountant. So I was taking a lot of uh, accounting classes and trig and probability and statistics and business law, so on and so forth. And one day I had an epiphany getting ready for class one morning and looked in the mirror and I said, you are preparing yourself to sitting behind a desk for the rest of your professional career. And I was already doing things as uh, a lot of the golf professionals were doing uh, during my summer job, I was a ski professional, Nordic ski professional already. Really? Um, awesome. Cross-country ski. So I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe I go down this road, and I called up the pro I was working for, Ken Horniak, and I said, what do you think? What do I got to do? Does it make sense? And uh, kind of went from there. Well, very cool. Well, I mean, how many years were you a golf professional? And you were the golf professional at Traverse City Golf and Country Club, were you not? I was not ever there. I was at Grand Traverse Resort. I began there. Okay. Um, Then I moved to Fort Lauderdale Country Club. I was at Fort Lauderdale Country Club for for four years. Uh, I was at Shanty Creek Resort. Um, working for longtime PGA guy Roger Jabara. I know and, Roger. Uh, good guy. Up the oh, great guy, very good guy. Um, I opened up the Weisskopf facility, Cedar River. Sure. And ran that for a year, and then uh, through some contacts 
I had back from Florida from prior years, I went down and opened a facility 25 minutes southwest of Disney World um, called Point Siena, a little town called Point Siena. Sola Vida is the community, and Stonegate Golf Club was the club that I helped open up in May of 2000. Very and cool. And I continued from there, worked for Easy Go Golf Cars for five years, and I was faced with another move, and I didn't want to move again from Traverse City. Can't say I uh, blame you for not wanting to move because it is glorious and spectacular up there, especially in the summer. But um, it is a remarkable place. And, and this is a great segue then for our listeners, um, as well as those watching on Facebook Live to tell a little bit about um, John as it relates to what he does now. And and I'll give you a brief overview, but um, I believe he has a partner, and he is the owner-operator of numerous restaurants and bars in the greater Traverse City area. In fact, uh, of course, John will confirm all this, but Harrington's by the Bay, um, McGee's 31, McGee's 72, Soralina, uh, Slate, and I also believe that you own and operate a bagel and Grand Traverse Bagel and Bakery and a catering firm. So this is a great segue to find out how John transitioned from being a PGA golf professional in northern Michigan and for all these other venues he was at, as he just articulated, and to getting into the hospitality business, which is Equally as hard, I'm sure, as being a PGA golf professional. Yeah, it's it's kind of like going from the frying pan to the fire, so to speak. <laughs> I bet. Um, so yeah, and in 2007, I was when I was faced with that move. Um, nothing in the region was available uh, to my liking in the golf industry. Um, I had been offered positions back in Florida and one in Arizona. That was very enticing, but um, being one of nine and everybody had at least, if not their primary homes in Travers, they had a secondary home. Mom and dad were still in town uh, and living. Uh, Dad was not well at the time, and I didn't know how much longer he he would be with us in the world. So I made that uh, big leap of faith, knowing that, you know, I've got some interpersonal skills uh, that I think can translate into another career, uh, or I was certainly hoping. Um, (laughs) And I put the faith in God that uh, I was making the right decision. And um, a couple years later, I took a position with Apache Trout Grill, a well-known uh, restaurant sure. location in Travers. Very familiar with it. And uh, I was in the interview process with now my business partner, Glenn Harrington, who had just about six months prior, he moved up from Grand Rapids and took the general manager's position and he and uh, the owner's sister, who was a manager at the restaurant, um, were interviewing me. And she said, you know, John, I'm not in, we're, we're not in the training uh, 
ground here were very established, and I don't see a whole lot of restaurant experience on your application and resume. And I said, well, no, I've got a little bit of bartending, but that's that's the extent of it. But I've been in the relationship business for 20-plus years and sales for 20-plus years. Right. As, as a golf professional, you you do it all. Um, Bob knows that very well, I'm certain. Yes. And I told him, I said, if, if you don't run your operation cultivated by relationships, then I should be, I should get up from this table and leave right now. And we continued the interview and I was kind of concerned because it was about oh, three, four, five weeks might have even gone by. And I called in a couple times, checked with a couple contacts that I had, and are you hearing anything? And so finally they called me back, and I got hired as a bartender and a server. Um, and I was gladly took that position. I Again, I didn't know what I was going to do in my life, but that filled a, a, a spot for the time being. It put food on the on the table for me and my kids. And, sure. Um we i became a manager about five six months into my bartending and serving and glenn and i the gm he kind of we have similar philosophies and processes on operations and you know i was in operations for for again for 19 years in the golf business and uh we kind of looked at each other one day said I don't want to work for anybody anymore. And he said, well, I don't want to work for anybody anymore. And <laughs> we, rubbed it, we, rubbed, we rubbed two nickels together and said, boy, we need to find some help. <laughs> so we ended up reaching out to some family and some friends, and uh, that was uh, in 2011 in March. We, we started Harrington's by the Bay. Wow. Well, you know that's a great story, and it just underscores um, the greatest concepts come from realizing. Wait, I can, I can probably do this, and I can probably do it better than the person I'm working for right now. Let's put together a plan and let's launch. I mean, and that's what's so great about doggone it, America, right. <laughs> <laughs> the free enterprise system Amen. and capitalism. There's no no question about that. And 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 that was another restaurant tour. I was going to comment. There's another restaurant guy that I've known who moved up here from Indiana and opened uh, several. Well, La Cineritas. There were several of them throughout the throughout the state of Michigan. Sure. And he told me He said, as I was just with Apache. He says, every one of my managers that I had, I tried to make them smarter than I am because I taught them everything I knew, but I didn't know what they knew. Right. Then there made them smarter. Right. Right. Well, and and look, I'm sure, I mean, we're going to, we'll get into this because I'd like to know a little bit more about your personal life as well and wife and kids and, and all that, but... Um, staying on this topic. So in 2011, you opened Harrington, Harrington's by the Bay, which I know exactly where it is for our listeners who don't know. I mean, maybe I should let you articulate it, John, but I know when I make that turn around the curve of the bay, 
Uh, and, and I don't know, you know, what you call that, but I'm sure there's some kind of name for it. But I can still, I, Harrington's by the Bay is it's a great spot. I mean, how did you, uh, you and Glenn, get into that place? So it was um, a closed, uh, defunct property, uh, which had an enormous amount of of upside with the location it overlooks Grand Traverse Bay. It's one mile or actually less than a mile from the downtown Traverse city. So it's not like it's out of town and it's, it's a big, you know, night out to, to travel to that destination. It's, it's right on M 22, the gateway to Leelanau County. We're actually within the city of Traverse city. Um, and it's it's just a perfect location. Is that near the Holiday Inn down there? How far is that? It's not far from yeah. Uh, so the Holiday Inn is that's on just on the east side of downtown. Yeah. And we are on the west side. We're heading just out towards Sutton's Bay. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a great spot, and I've been there myself. Uh, um, of course, trying trying to call and earn the business from John and Glenn Absolutely. at their restaurant, but it's a great spot and uh, it's very cool. So, um, um, well, this is probably, uh, probably a good time to, um, interject our little golf tip with Bob Krause. <laughs> so, um, so before we get any further into our conversation with John, um, why don't we take a mo- uh, this moment to introduce our golf tip with Bob Krause. So Bob, go ahead and tell us, uh, uh, the golf tip of the day. Yeah, so you and I are calling this Into the Jar, uh, sponsored by Zim's <laughs> Golf Tip. And a lot of guys want to get into the jar, right? Because yep. that's, that's where the money's made. That, that's where the money is. If you don't get that ball in the jar, yeah. it doesn't matter, right? So Yeah, so it's a little uh, um, cool to do this because guys contact me all the time through Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of thing. And uh, last week, a guy named Matt Fox from Troy, Michigan, he sent me a, a quick little um, DM, and he, you know, he was kind of blading his chips a little bit, and you know, I sent him back another message, and you know, he had a little bit of weight on his right side at impact or at at address, and you know, he's a right-handed player, and that's a recipe for disaster, as you know, John, to skull a chip or uh, or to shank a chip, and uh, so the advice I gave him was, you know, open up the stance just a little bit, keep keep the feet narrow. And then put a little weight on the left heel, not the right heel. So what you want to do is you want to – this will allow you to keep the hands forward going into uh, impact, and it will certainly help help that uh, descending blow into the golf ball instead of an upward. We're not trying to help that ball off the ground. We're trying to let the loft and the bounce of the golf club create that. And uh, if he tries that, I guarantee it will help. And if he has any trouble, he can certainly uh, DM me again. So that's, awesome. that's the end of the jar. Sponsored by Zim's. Love it. Well, great. Well, that's good timing. So, um, all right. So, so, um, so, John, so you and Glenn opened Harrington's by the Bay in 2011. I mean, heck, it's only 2020. So, you guys have been, you've uh, built a, a, a nice little, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Empire. Uh, empire of, <laughs> of five restaurants, a bagel. And, yeah. I mean, so tell us, how, I mean, I'm I'm sure because I used to own a bread company in the past myself, so I uh, 
I've always told people, John, it's a heck of a lot easier to take a paycheck than to give one out. <laughs> and I'm sure you uh, experienced that, you know, especially when you and Glenn first started. So tell us about the first uh, year with Harrington's by the Bay and then how you evolved from there and uh, uh, your other venues. Yeah, so first year, uh, Harrington's, we opened uh, the third week of May on a Thursday. Uh, we were going to have a a partner um, who, between discussions and whatnot, we just all kind of agreed to agree to let him be a landlord versus a, a partner. But that's kind of without Kevin Clark initially. He, uh, the uh, former owner of Critter Control, he started Critter Control. Oh. Um, but... Uh, he uh, he purchased the property, and we were going to be the tenant, and uh, that all worked out pretty well. We, like I said, we we had the faith and uh, encouragement from some family members and and friends that gave us some startup money to to get it going, and we just busted our butts and we like i said we sim- we have similar philosophies um in our operations um and it, the the yin and the yang was kind of funny how the dynamics we didn't play this out like it was strategized but it, it was pretty funny how glenn predominantly was taking care of the the kitchen part for the most part and I kind of was, you know, I did the operations out front and whatnot. And, but the opposite, and it kind of makes a little more sense, but the opposite, the, the people that he was kind of taking care of in the back of the house didn't really like him. They liked me. And the people that I was taking care of didn't like me and they liked him. <laughs> it was kind of like, I think it was the, I think it's the mom and the dad type, you know, as a yeah. kid, if you didn't get the answer you wanted, you go to the other one. Right. Well, they were in tune, you know, everybody in front, you know, I'm like, no, we got to do it like this. And then, okay, I'm going to go ask, you know, the other parent. And sure <laughs> enough. So it was, it was kind of funny how, that all played out, but we, we always said to ourselves, when customers come in, if we don't know any, if we don't know something about them when they came in the door, we're going to make sure we know a little bit about them before they go out of the door. So really get strength, getting that, that personal connection. Yep, yep. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, when we had one, when we had two restaurants, it was, you know, we were always in one of the buildings, you know, we were always at Harrington's. And then when Sorolina came next, we were, you know, one of us was in the building. Um, and we've passed that along now to our management team, which it, it is, you know, it's all a team. Um, and we'll probably get into some more of that down the road. But um, we, we rolled through the first year. Um, and I'll, I'll come back to this one winter night. Uh, a friend of mine came in with his family and sister and brother-in-law and whatnot. And uh, we were chatting about the restaurant. He, he, 
he asked me, how did this come about? And he's like, you know, I always thought, you know, about, I'm always interested in real estate. So if you have another opportunity, you know, let me know and, and bring it to me. Maybe I'd be interested. So therein lies how Soralina happened. Ah, I kind of okay. took, took that and said, huh. And another restaurant was presented uh, an opportunity to us um, because it was a year to the day, that third Thursday in May, that we opened and served our first customer at Soralina from Harrington's. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Pretty quick quick turn. Well, I can tell you, um, before I knew you, uh, I dined at um, not only Harrington's Harrington's on the Bay, but also at Soralina, and uh, I know we're jumping around here, but hey, that's the whole great thing about a podcast, (laughs) we can do whatever we want, because this is a conversation. (laughs) Um, But uh, Soralina... um, was is more of a finer dining, isn't it, than Harrington's on the Bay? Well, it um, it just it started out. We've we've since moved from our original location. Uh, right. We started out on Park Street. Right. Um, that that location was a revolving door of of restaurants slash bars um, since the heyday of DJ uh, DJ Kelly's which was around for better than a decade um, with huge success. Um, Dan Kelly from DJ Kelly still owned the building, but he was, there was great number of turnover of locations within that establishment. And I have, again, I'm one of nine kids and I reached out to some of my family members and said, Hey, just want your opinion on this. What do you think? And they're like, no, don't do it. It's a terrible terrible location. Uh, And I thought it was a great location. You know, it's just off the beaten path. It's between, it was between the Park Place Hotel and Front Street. You know, it's a half a block. No, I remember. Like I said, I was a guest there. I thought it was a great spot, too. And it's it's not like it's that far off Front Street, for goodness sakes. It's like... uh, 30 yards exactly and that you know the traffic pattern of foot traffic you've got we were smack dab right between the two most popular happy hour locations one being minerva's in the park place and red ginger right we got to be able to capture some of this the Italian theme, which was a void in Traverse City uh, for for a long time, um, since Roma's had closed, which was a staple for shoot. I don't even when I was a kid, I remember going to to Roma's, but mm-hmm. there was a void of the Italian food, and that's what prompted us to uh, to go in that direction with our now real estate partner Mark Johnson. Uh, in that location, who gave us the opportunity for that um, to go in with uh, with little investment out of our pocket at the moment, and just because he had faith in what we did at Harrington's, and he he saw us as a uh, you know a, a 
quality entity and we're, we're driven, we're, we're there, we're hands-on, and uh, he had the faith in us as well. So there's, a, you know, some people that contributed to our, our success behind the scenes um, with, with little involvement. Well, I'll tell you, there's so many questions I have for you. Um, first of all, the good news for our listeners out there is that, again, as a guest, it's Soralina's originally on Park and then now right on Front Street, which is spectacular. If you haven't gone there, you've got to see it. I mean, it is remarkable, this place. Um, the good news is that the the, the recipes um, that I enjoyed at the original Soralina's are still available at Soralina's today. Am I right? That is that is correct, yep. It just We literally moved it around the corner to be on Front Street, um, and the space, thank you. The space is very fun. Um, people think they're in Chicago or Manhattan, um, with the, uh, the way it's laid out and the, the decor and all that. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's very cool. And for those again, that don't know it right next to Soralina, and again, maybe this is just a good segue, but is Slate. So tell us about that, because these places are very contemporary, very eclectic, very uh, cosmopolitan. Um, you do. if you When you walk in there, you think you're in New York, Chicago, L.A. It's really cool. So, so tell us about Slate and, of course, eventually about McGee's on 72 and 31 as well. Certainly. Um, so Slate is uh, – so Soralina, you walk in the front door on, on – off of Front Street, and you come into an entryway, you either go to the left, which is Soralina, or to the right, and you make a couple steps down into Slate. They both have, God, I think there's 16-foot glass windows um, right up. For people viewing, is is spectacular. Uh, and Slate is a is a classic chop house, steakhouse. Um, we serve all prime beef uh, at minimum. Uh, we've gotten into Wagyu. Our, all our fillets are now Wagyu. Wow. Uh, we serve prime uh, ribeyes, New York strip, porterhouse. Uh, we bring, we've got cold water lobster tails. We've, we've got a great halibut dish um, and some other just uh, classic you know, lobster mac and cheese and classic sides. It's a uh, it's a classic chop house. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's um, again, it's it's a place you wanna you wanna check out. So um, so you've got Harrington's on the Bay. You've got Soralina Slate, and then you've got um, McGee's on seventy two and McGee's on thirty one. Now I will tell you, I have not personally had the opportunity to go into either of those venues, but. From driving by them, they look more um, more casual. Is that an accurate statement? Um, yeah, they're all all of our places are pretty casual. Um, you know, the fare changes, the decor changes, but um, you know, it's kind of a come one, come all. Um, you know, it's not. We don't do white linens even at the chop house. We want everybody to feel comfortable coming in. Uh, McGee 72, ironically, we can back up to our first part of our conversation when I worked at the Grand Traverse Resort mm-hmm. as assistant golf professional. That was the cart storage facility 
the two-story cart barn back when the pro shop was and the sand trap restaurant was located at the spruce run golf course and then you had the six minute drive by a cart to go to the first tee of the bear so mcgee 72 is physically in and the grand traverse bagel and bakery we put in the lower level uh when we refurbished the lower level um that was a cart barn that i was there when it was constructed and thank the lord uh, walls do not speak because I was, <laughs> you know, I was 19, 20, 21 years old back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me tell you, John, I remember um, uh, with a bunch of my hockey buddies, including Terry Olson and others, we'd go up to the Grand Traverse Resort because it was great to get a package kind of program. And I remember going to the Sand Trap. And I remember the cart barn below where you're now housed uh, the bagel and uh, Grand Traverse Bagel and Bakery. So yeah. I'm familiar. Yeah. I, 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 I'm sure I don't have the memories you have, <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah. So the uh, so that location, um, the Sheldy Group organization, uh, also owned that property, um, and it was called Trevino's. Uh, they transformed from the cart barn to the bar and restaurant area that it is now. Uh, when we came in, we actually, it, that was closed down, defunct property. Um, and we ended up buying that note from the bank and then took uh, the group of us um it took us 14 months to get clear title to work through all the the minutia with the SBA and and the foreclosure process. Um, so that was a little bit of time, a little over a year, um, and then we did a pretty major re- renovation in that in that location. Uh, we just didn't like the way it looked. Um, we didn't have to do a whole lot to the prior two properties. We did some to Harrington's, very minimal to, to Sorolina um, oh, on Park Street before we did the brand new current location. Um, but yeah, so we opened that one uh, Chris, the day after Christmas t- 2014. Um, wow. So we did. 11 was Harrington's, 2012 was Sorolina. We actually did a consulting for a a group out to uh, Northport and opened up uh, a restaurant for this group just to get them started. They didn't have a whole lot of restaurant. They were an investment group mostly. Mm -hmm. Uh, They didn't have much restaurant uh, experience. They reached out to us, and um, so we... We helped them for the first. We got them open and ran it for a bit with their people, um, and then washed our hands and and went our separate ways. So it was kind of a good good timing, um, as we were still doing some legal work with with McGee seventy two. But that was a like I said, that was a closed defunct property. And then I get a text message from a president of a bank uh, in town. 
shortly thereafter, and she said, we, we've become proud owners of a, another bar restaurant. Would you <laughs> like to buy this one? Uh-huh. So after doing some due diligence, uh, McGee's 31 came about, which is on the south side of town. Um, so we've got the west side with Harrington's. We've got right downtown with Sorolina. We've got the east side covered with McGee 72, and now the south side um, with McGee's 31. And that was kind of our our vision the whole time was to be similar but not the same. And for the lack of a better word, we didn't want to we don't want to steal from our own clientele and customer base. Sure, sure. And we were, we, it, was, it was proven very quickly. Um, you know, people are creatures of habits, and they like to travel where they like to travel, and they don't usually go outside of those comfort areas. And it was never more prevalent than a mile away, 1.1 mile from door to door when we opened Sorolina right after, after Harrington's. And I would see friends of mine, you know, that in Sorolina for three times in two weeks, and I've never seen them at Harrington's. And I'm like, so have you guys ever been to Harrington? Oh, no, 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 no. We don't go that side of town. Literally 1.1 miles. It was, it was the biggest eye-opening experience that I had. And I'm like, wow. Well, and I was delighted because we weren't, you know, stealing from from ourselves and, and sharing that. Right. And, uh, it, it worked out quite well. Oh, that's, that's a great story. I'm interested in, in learning about, um, you know, the Grand Traverse Bagel and Bakery. Now I would suspect that you originally started that because you wanted to produce your own high quality buns and, and baguettes and brioche and, uh, whatever, um, uh, but do you supply not only your, I must, I mean, obviously you supply your own restaurants, but do you supply other venues throughout the greater Traverse city area? So we, we certainly do. Um, so the kind of, it was, it was a kind of a different situation when we, when we first started before we even started it, um, unbeknownst to me and unbeknownst to Glenn, uh, we each went to this grocery store specifically because it was one of the, the grocery stores that Grand Traverse Bagel Bakery uh, had shelf space. And he liked their rustic sourdough, and I liked their cracked wheat. And it was a couple weeks that I couldn't find their bread. They just It was zoink poof, it's gone. It had been there for, for years, for decades. Mm-hmm. And Glenn came in one day. He was not in the most pleasant mood. And he said, <laughs> what's going on? He said, I can't find this bread that I've been addicted to and blah, blah, blah. And I said, Grand Traverse Bagel and Bakery, they're not there anymore. He goes, yeah. So one thing led to another. We chatted about it. And uh, he said, you know, maybe we could uh, – they've got some equipment that they might be wanting to sell. So we tracked down uh, through commercial sales guy and 
we tracked down who it was and where it was and and one thing led to another we we had a nice conversation with the gal that owned it she was in her 70s her husband had passed away five six years prior and she had a she simply had a fire in her oven that was going to cost about thirty thirty five thousand dollars to fix and she said you know i've been doing this long enough i think i'm just going to be done and we started chatting glenn and i and i said boy i go you know we spend about sixty five seventy thousand dollars on bread products right you know what do you you know so we did some analysis talking to her what it would cost us to actually produce that those products for ourselves and we looked at her books and her sales and who she was selling to and so get back to your point we we sell now we're in uh 42 other locations mostly smaller markets grocery stores family fair through throughout travers and bel-air um and we reach from Bel Air to Glen Arbor, <clears throat> and we do produce uh, other restaurant breads um, for Center Street Cafe, the Bayview Inn, you know, our neighbor even, and and Frankie, and we've got good relationships, and he doesn't look at it as a competition. His customers like the product, and uh, we had Claudia, the owner, came in and trained our people, and uh, we actually had a a baker on staff that was doing other things we didn't even know until we started chatting he goes well i used to use used to work for this bakery for seven years and i can i can run this for you and so that kind of we had the space downstairs um seven thousand square feet of empty space which we put some offices in and we put four thousand square foot to the bakery that's awesome, and uh, you probably don't know this, but I used to be in the bread business. Did you know that? I, I didn't until uh, you mentioned it earlier in our conversation, but yeah, that's pretty pretty good. Yeah, and, and I've always believed this. I, I, I am so firm on this, John, that you can have, for example, the greatest quality deli meats, or you can have the greatest quality hamburger. If you don't put it on a good piece of bread or a good bun— it, who cares? Am I right? Hundred uh, percent. I mean, hundred percent. You know, even restaurants that you go to, the bread service that you're provided leaves a lasting memory. If it's good bread, it, it's crazy. People will come back if if the food, if the service, right? But they, they, everybody remembers the bread. I used to tell people all the time, John, look, the first impression you're going to get, you're going to give your guest is the bread. And I used to supply places like Oakland Hills Country Club, the Capitol Grill, under a private label kind of thing. They took the credit for it, which I didn't care. I just sure. wanted to get paid. Yeah. But I used to tell them that all the time. This is the first impression your guest is going to have of your venue. 100%. So uh, we're obviously singing from the same hymn book. So... Um, We've talked about a number of different things, and and I do want to know a little bit about Glenn because I know he couldn't participate today in the podcast, but I met him once. First of all, a great guy, and um, can you tell us about Glenn and you know how you you know you briefly touched on how you guys met? But uh, I mean, 
look, I had a partner in my bread business, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's like a marriage. You got to work at it. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure, for certain. Um, yeah. So Glenn was born and raised in the uh, Bay City, Greater Bay City area, um, and got into the restaurant business very young age, um, and. I don't really think he ever left it. He went from, he was with the LaBelle group uh, in Mount Pleasant, uh, ended up going up to the island and worked some summers up in Mackinac Island, um, and then went back down and was working with LaBelle in in Grand Rapids. Uh, I think he opened several Bennigans. Okay. Um, And then he answered an ad in the paper from, like I had mentioned earlier, at Apache uh, Trout Grill in 2000, I want to say 2009, maybe 2008 or nine, somewhere in there, and for the general manager's position, and he and his wife and son Jack moved up, and they, uh, he took that position and brought him to Travers, but he's, he's been, you know, from dishwasher all the way through, he's held basically every position within the restaurant, um, throughout his career. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, you mentioned Bennigan's, he worked there and I had a friend who, um, uh, I actually went to school with, um, and he, uh, eventually was trained in hospitality through the Bennigan's, you know, group. And he became a private club manager uh, of um, Saginaw Country Club and then Bloomfield Hills Country Club. And now he's in, um, uh, he's somewhere out east. But the point is that I remember him telling me he loved his experience at Bennigan's, especially um, the, the, the uh, training. Uh, they were very, it, it's all about people, po- uh, process, and, and policies and following the rule of those, you know, policies. And it was just great structure. I, everybody I've ever known to work in those groups, just a lot of positive structure um, to run yep, and manage sure. a, 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 a restaurant. So it's, that's pretty cool. So yep. um, Absolutely. So you also are in the catering business. Is that correct? Yeah, we do quite a bit of catering. Um, we've actually we've redesigned some of our, our locations um, to host private parties. Uh, so we do a lot of internal, uh, the way we developed and the, I, I, I mentioned at slate, you take a couple of steps down at the new location on front street. Right. And we, we did design that for a purpose of giving us enough headroom to then put a mezzanine level above it that looks down into front street and down into Sorolina and it, it's a space for 50. We, we glass enclosed us a, a location of a, a space, um, at Harrington's. We designed a back room area, private room at McGee 72 and we redesigned that. And then we did the same at, uh, 31. So we do catering within, and then we also cater, uh, off offsite um, to you know event halls uh, barns you know there's a slew of 
uh, weddings that we do up in northern Michigan. We cater for the last four years Great Lakes Equestrian Festival, mm-hmm. uh, the horse shows, um, the, the jumping, and that's uh, we do all the VIP for six weeks, now eight weeks this year, and um, so it's a it's a big source for revenues. It's a great uh, earning potential for for our employees. And I'll if I can, whether you were going to get there or not, I'll, I'll jump the gun a little bit. Um, the the thing that we are most proud of, one, well, there's several, but we've brought two restaurant uh, guys along with us they've been chefs for us and we just uh made them five percent partners a year and a half or so almost two years ago now so we've incentivized those guys um with uh with a partnership they bought in for a little bit but um but we opening three properties that were defunct shut down failed locations and old park street which was a revolving door with gratuities included from yourself and you know our customer base sure our payroll this our payroll this last year in 2019 exceeded four million dollars wow how many employees do you have well at any given time we're we're over a couple hundred well, you did you did jump the gun, but I'm glad you did because I'm sure you have a, a lot of great employees because it does uh, you know it, it does take a lot of teamwork. But um, uh, it, it's actually a great um, uh, segue into one of my questions, which was in an economy that's as good as ours is right now, and as you know, arguably the lowest unemployment I think ever, uh, and in such a tight labor market like hospitality. What do you look for in an, in an employee? How do you inspire them? And, and what do you do to retain them? Well, it's, it's, it's tough. It's getting, it's growing tougher um, every day. Uh, we are a big family. Um, so that helps. We treat our people as, as well as we possibly can. Um, you know, I, sh- I shake their hands. I thank them as much as we possibly can. I'm in most of the buildings on a daily basis. Um, and it happens from management and, and from our ownership down. And, uh, but the, the labor force is difficult. We've tried to kind of get a network, so to speak, um, building uh, through our, even our greeters, our hosts that, you know, that are 15, 16, 17 year old, uh, and the busers, you know, the men and women that come in predominantly during the summertime when they're not in school or at night, if they're not participating in a sporting, uh, extracurricular, uh, we try to cultivate them and set them up to, you know, when you're, 18 we're going to train you to to be prepared to be a server to make more money but also we want you to bring your replacement in somebody that you know that you trust that you like 
from your school, from your neighborhood, whatever it might be. And we've kind of taken that approach and it's, it's helped uh, a bit. We've just started it recently, you know, a couple years ago. So we're just going to start seeing some of those fruits uh, mature and they're going to be 18 and then they'll be serving and, and making some more money and, and giving them some, some life skills. Uh, one of my good friends, I, we hired his daughter and he and his wife, they tell me on a constant basis, thank you between you and Mandy is our general manager at Harrington. Yeah. I, I love her. And she's she, great. Oh my gosh. She's phenomenal. Yeah. And she's, they say, you know, what you guys have done, Laney, their daughter is a different person. She's come out of her shell. She's reaching out. They, they shared a little story. I'll, I'll tell you a snippet of it. Um, this gentleman who appeared to be homeless uh, was in, uh, wanted a cup of coffee at the Meyer Starbucks. And she realized that after she said something to her mom and said, mom, I really want to do something special for this guy. He probably needs a couple bucks. And she walked back in and gave him three bucks out of her own pocket. And she's, they're like, she never would have done that, but her interpersonal uh, relations with all these guests that come to the counter and go seat them and have interactions. Now she's, she's grown like that. So those are all touching to me as well. And, and to Glenn and our whole team, when we can, when we can change the face of, of a, of a young kid or a, or an adult to, uh, to expand their horizon, so to speak. No question. That's, that's a great story. And uh, we need to hear more of those kind of stories. In fact, you know, you're really hitting on people and teamwork is, is what has helped you achieve the success you have. And it reminds me of something that Andrew Carnegie said, which was something along the lines of, take away my equipment, take away my factories, but leave my people, and soon we will have a new and bigger and better factory. Something along those lines. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, that that's just great stuff. Um, uh I have um we're kind of getting near the end and we'll we'll wrap it up here shortly um but I I have a question that really Terry wanted me to ask of you and something we're hearing a groundswell about in the hospitality industry is this no tipping trend so we would love to get your take on that because we hear about um uh, servers and bartenders making the great money when you got all these these wonderful chefs and cooks and line cooks and and people in the back doing a lot of the heavy lifting, but they 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 it seems like they're trying to level the playing field. But I'd just be curious, and really Terry's the one that asked the question. Um, what do you think about this no tipping trend, where it's going, and uh, how it may affect you in the future? Well, the no tipping comes from this the fair wage act, what is, what they're trying to, uh, push through. Um, I could bore you with all the details of where it all started out of California from a non ever restaurant employed person uh-huh. that never waited tables, <laughs> <and> never bartended <laughs> right. and 
they they want everybody to make great fifteen dollars an hour minimum or whatever that might be. Right. Um, if you were to survey, I've I've surveyed my own staff, mm-hmm. and one of two hundred and twelve employees at the time said yes and after uh, they were they were for it and i asked them if uh, i said well can you explain to me what this means and what they didn't understand and after i explained it to them of you know if a tipped employee does not make so let's just say it's three dollars and fifteen cents right an hour sure um let's say they came in and uh i didn't they didn't get any tables it, it was a snowstorm mm-hmm. and we were open and they worked six hours and made zero zero tips mm-hmm. they don't make 315 i have to make up their difference to make make them at 985 or i i've failed to even know what the current yeah i don't either but you make them whole is what you're saying we're in that i have to i have to as an employer i have to i have to make up that difference yeah uh and they they have to make a minimum of that even if they got tipped i i have to they record tips and i have to make that up yeah yeah so if Raising the minimum wage to this fair fair wage act to fifteen seventeen whatever um what it's going to do to restaurants and it's proven um within the states uh out in oregon in washington uh, state too some washington yeah, and there's some other uh isolated areas um I've never been to France. But I know many friends and uh, family members that have gone over. They use France as an example um, because they went to this system. Um, so the prices increase uh, for your goods and services. You don't tip. So I there's I could go on forever. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not a healthy, it's not healthy for anybody. Right. It's not good for the consumers. And it's frankly, it's not good for the, the employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and even in the back of the back of the house, our dishwashers and lowest line cooks are not making minimum wage. They haven't ever in our organization they're not making eleven bucks an hour. They're they're making twelve bucks an hour and more. Right. Um, so, you know, what they're trying to do, I'm not exactly certain. Well, I know their why, but we don't want to get into that. No, I, I I understand what you're. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. In fact, I I took the same approach with my employees. I never paid minimum wage. I always paid above because I wanted a better quality individual. And I tried to provide them incentives and inspire and motivate them to be better because I didn't want your average Joe, so to speak. Uh, and I was prepared to pay for um, uh, a better quality uh, uh, individual. And again, somebody who was on my team. So I, I understand completely what you're saying uh, totally. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've got some 
really great stories with happy customers. Um, I'm I'm sure that there have been numerous uh, wedding proposals or engagements or, uh, or or interesting stories in all the different venues. Do you have one or two you could share with the listening audience before we wrap it up, John? Boy, oh boy. Um, yeah, we've uh, t- t- narrowed that down. One gentleman kind of, uh, he, he comes to mind. Uh, it's Irwin Sport. He's 97, 97 years old. God bless him. Maybe, yeah, I think he just turned 97. <laughs> Good for him. Um, had the pleasure to meet him and at Apache Trout Grill. And, and Irwin has, uh, he's just a very unique individual. His wife passed away uh, 15 years ago, maybe, 14, 13 years ago. Uh, she had passed away before I had the pleasure of meeting him, but he goes to Apache still the same day, sits in the same booth that they sat in. Uh-huh. Um, he goes in on Tuesday there. He's in with us on Wednesday. Um, so we got to, to meet him at Apache days and now we get to see him at Harrington's every Wednesday. Um, just a, a delightful man. He's a very inspirational individual. Uh, not just with his longevity, but he writes, he's published poem books, uh, books of poem, and he writes special poems for different individuals that work for us. And uh, just, he, he's probably, he's my one inspiration that I can say that has carried through, uh, that that makes me think of him every week uh, and most of the weeks and most of the days of the week uh, when I when I might find a, a less than motivating time, um, <laughs> I, I think of Irwin and what he's been able to do and continue to do in great spirits and um, just, yeah. That's very good. life and with great vigor. That's very cool. Um, you know, it's interesting. About 25 years ago, I told my wife, I said, you know what? I said, everybody you meet has a story. And frankly, that's how we and how and why we created this podcast is because we believe, John, everybody has a story and they're all interesting. And um, sure. So uh, I think that's great. Um, I am so grateful um, that you took the time out of your day to um, to uh, let us have this conversation. And I guess I have one other question for you, since I've got Bob Krause sitting right across from me as he gets ready to chase the Champions Tour. Do you have any suggestions or uh, any uh, well wishes for Bob as he uh, as he gets ready for Q School on the Champions Tour? As a, for, as a, as a fellow PGA card-carrying uh, uh, golf professional. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he knows what it takes. He probably is better than better than most, and... I wish all the best and uh, keep that keep that level head. And you know you can't be, get back the sh- that one shot, but you sure can affect the rest of the shots that you have the rest of the days. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, stay in the moment, right? Yeah, but amen. It's like uh, a friend of mine said, Bruce. What's what's the most important shot you're going to take? And I said, the next one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When I when I taught when I. Taught, <clears throat> And somebody would hit a great shot. I would just simply say, "Be humble. Don't hit the next shot better. 
hit the next shot well. All right? You don't want to hit hit it better because you just hit an amazing shot. Right, right. To try to expect that, just humble yourself and hit that next shot well. Yeah, yeah, very Absolutely. good. Well, look, uh, thank you again, John. Uh, by the way, give my best to Glenn and Mandy, and I can't remember everybody's name, but um, uh, of the people I've met that work for you and Glenn, but... Um, I wish you nothing but continued good luck and success, and uh, we're grateful that you took the time to uh, participate in this uh, podcast conversation. Hey, thanks so much, Bruce. Good luck to you, Bob. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care. This was uh, Behind the Bar with John McGee. Thank you.